listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. If you would this morning turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. Also, we're going to read John 14 and verse 6. So you might want to put your placeholder, turn over to John 4. I should ask you to turn to John 14 first. But put your placeholder in John 14 or your finger there and put something there so you can go back and forth during this message, I guess. We're going to begin reading in uh, Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. We have, been, we have started a series last week on the five solas. Some say the five solas of the Reformation because that's where uh, the, the, the gospel was uh, recaptured from the uh, organized Catholic Universal Church. And the Protestant Reformation began, which was a great, the greatest revival of, of Christendom, probably since the times of uh, Paul and Christ. Well, we always go back to that, but I want to tell you something. There were good, godly people who believed the true gospel, even while the Catholic Church had a stranglehold on the world. Okay? And so it wasn't that they recaptured it from not existing. It existed. But they did recapture it in a great way that gave us universal uh, revival. So these are not necessarily the five solas of the Reformation, which we are glad to call them, but they are the five solas of the gospel, the Bible, Christianity, whatever you want to call it. So let's stand together once more and read our scripture in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. By the way, I'll be reading from the New American Standard Bible this morning because I like like it. All right. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. If you would look at John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I've enjoyed worshiping this morning in song. It's been, it's been fun. It doesn't have to be fun. Worship is not meant for us to have fun doing it. It is meant for us to return thanks to you for all the blessings, grace, mercy, and salvation that you've given us. And we have sang what we're going to preach about in Christ alone. We have sang for those of us that have believed in you that you are ours forevermore. And my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. For thee all of the follies of sin I'll resign. My gracious Redeemer, my Savior art thou. If ever I love thee, Jesus, it's now at the cross. 
at your cross where I first saw the light. And the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith. Faith in Christ alone. I received my sight. And now you've given me joy all the day. Help me to be able to communicate this today. And oh God, I pray that you would bring sinners to yourself through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We are considering the second solo. Now, now usually, I'm, I've got them out of order. If you were to listen to someone else, it's, it's a little different order. Uh, but I'm doing it because Adrian's coming, and the only time he could come was next Sunday. And he's doing Grace Alone, which was usually what we do today, then Faith Alone, then in Christ Alone, to the glory of God alone. But we got to mix up. It doesn't matter. Truth is truth. And today we're going to consider this, that it is in Christ alone. What is? Everything. Everything. I mean, you know, but we're talking about justification, salvation, sanctification is comes through and in Jesus Christ, now listen, alone. All right? And we read our scriptures. Now, during the Protestant Reformation, and where these things became prominent, prominently said that it is in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, to the glory of God alone, by scripture alone. By Scripture alone. I think I missed that one a minute ago, didn't I? By Scripture alone. It's because the Catholic Church teaches, in particular on our subject today, that Jesus does provide grace. They would say that. He provides grace, just not enough. That grace comes through the sacraments, through penance, through the praying to the saints and Mary and doing your bit in limbo. In the question and answer Catholic catechism, this is a, a form of teaching. We Some of our kids have been going through a different... We have Baptist catechisms and things. It's just a form where you ask a question and then you give the biblical answer. That's basically what it is. It's catechism. Uh, and this was in their catechism in 1074... Question 1074, it says, What is habitual or sanctifying grace? What is saving grace? All right, simplify it. They say that grace is a supernatural quality that dwells in the human soul by which a person shares in the divine nature, becomes the temple of the Holy Spirit, a friend of God, his adopted child, an heir to the glory of heaven. Now listen, and able to perform actions, listen, meriting eternal life. Basically what they said is, grace doesn't do anything for you. In the Council of Trent, which by the way, their councils are ex-cathedra, when they make decisions at their councils, it is as authoritative as Scripture to them. In the Canon 24 of the Council of Trent, the cardinals, bishops, pope, all of them together decided this. If anyone says that the justice received is not preserved and also increased before God through good works, but that said works are merely the fruits and signs of justification obtained, but not a cause of it, uh, of the increase thereof, 
let him be anathema. Now that's a little confusing. Let me tell you basically what they said. If you believe that works is not required for salvation, but that works are the aftermath or the proof that you have been saved, you need to go to hell. You will go to hell. That's what that says. If you believe that works does not that works do not save you, and if you believe that works are the fruit of true salvation, you're not saved, and you're on your way to hell. In Canon 32, this is what they said. If anyone says that the good works of one that is justified does not truly merit increase of grace, eternal life, and the attainment of that eternal life, do you get it? That works does not help you attain eternal life. If you, say, if you don't say that, let him be anathema. If you don't believe that salvation is by merit and works, let you be damned. That's what that means. That's what the word anathema means. They believe grace is dispensed through indulgences. What are indulgences? The uh, things that you do for good works. Praying the rosary, giving money to the church, praying to the saints, praying to Mary, and that you will have to spend an amount of time in purgatory before you can go to heaven, but your friends and your family can pay you out and, and pray you out and ask Mary to give you some merits and ask the saints to give you some merits. Quicker, you can get out quicker if you do these things. It's called the system of the treasury of merit. The Catholic Church teaches that in Christ, Mary and the saints, uh, uh, that in Mary and the saints, uh, well, um, excuse me, let me back up. The Catholic Church teaches that in Christ, in Mary, and in the saints, there is an abundance of merit. In other words, they've been so good, their cup is overflowing and they have good works out of their life, and it's all around in their saucer, I suppose. Now listen. Their cups are full and overflowing. That's what I put in my notes here. And from the overflow of that, they can dispense to others as they see fit. In other words, they have more good works than they need to go to heaven, so they can take those extra good works and give it to you if you so pray for it or work for it or give for it. Okay? So if you pray to them and if you give enough to the church and if you keep the sacraments, if you do your due penance and if you spend your time in limbo, they will give you of their merit so that your cup can be full enough to get you into heaven. So your good works plus their good works fills your cup up and your cup has to be full to go to heaven. And until it's full, you can't get out of purgatory. You can't go to heaven. The Catholic Church would say that for salvation, Jesus is necessary. He's just not enough. And by our two texts, it is undeniable what or of who the Scriptures teach is the only sufficient means of justification. Amen. There is salvation in no one else. That's what God says. I'm repeating God. For there is no other name under heaven, not Mary, not any of the saints. There's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
John 14, 6 again, Jesus said to him, I am the way. I'm the only way. I'm the only truth and the only life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's my introduction. Now here's my message. Number one, we see in these verses and in Scripture man's greatest need. Man's greatest need. What do you think your greatest need is? If I were just to ask this question and you didn't know I was fixing to preach on Christ Jesus and Him alone and I were to ask you what do you think your greatest need is? What would you say? Our need is not overcoming loneliness. Our greatest need is not insecurity or, or security. We don't need to worry about mental disturbance or physical illness or self-esteem issues or money problems. Those are not our greatest need. Our need isn't influence. It isn't comfort. It isn't happiness. Our need, Your need isn't self-worth. All these may give you a comfortable life, but will not get you past the judgment and save you from the wrath of God that's coming, nor will it get you out of the hell and into heaven. No, my friend, those are not your greatest needs. Our sins have separated us from God, and therefore we need to be delivered and rescued from the sure justice of God. That is... Man's greatest problem, number two. Our problem is we're sinners. And the second half of that problem is God is holy. So when we say save, Brother Ron, you say save, there's always two parts to being saved. If you're going down the road and you're fixing to run off a cliff and someone stands out in front of your car and stops you, you have been saved from death and you've been saved to keep on living. Right? So there's always two parts. Well, first of all, brother, what are we saved from? Now listen, because you're going to, this might surprise some of you. What are we saved from? God. God. You say, I tell you what, the devil's going to drag me down to hell. No, God will cast you into hell. My friend, you hadn't sinned against the devil, you sinned against a holy God. And my friend, God hates sin. And listen, you're going to be shocked at this. Psalm 5 verse 5 says, The boastful shall not stand in your sight. Talking to God, about God. You hate all workers of iniquity. He hates all workers of iniquity. Guess who they are? You and me. The Bible says in Romans 3.23, All have sinned. We've all fallen short of the standard, the glory of God. Psalm 11.5 says, The Lord tests the righteous. I didn't finish my verse. Verse 6 says, You shall destroy all those who speak falsehood. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and the deceitful man. Psalm 11 verse 5 says, The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, his soul hates. Oh, this is not the God you learned about, is it, in your Sunday school or from your mom or daddy or whatever? God loves everybody equally and all the time. No. God hates wickedness and those who practice wickedness. The Bible says that we are at enmity with God. You don't sit down with tea with the nation that's trying to shoot you out of existence. 
And my friend, when you are without Christ, you are in sin and your sins have separated you from God. Psalm 7 verse 11 says, God is a just judge. And God is angry with the wicked every day. If he does not turn, that is the wicked, if he does not turn back, God will sharpen his sword. He bends his bow and makes it ready. He also prepares for himself instruments of death. He makes his arrows into fiery shafts. God hates sin because he's holy. Number two, now you listen to this. I know this is tough right now, but it gets gooder, I promise you. God is holy, and we are not. Psalm 11 verse 4 says, The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold. His eyelids test the sons of men. Upon the wicked He will rain coals. Fire and brimstone and burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. Verse 7, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Number 3 in your outline, that's not up here, but number three, in your outline, uh, the sub point here, God is a just judge. Number one, God hates sin. Number two, God is holy. Number three, God is a just judge. Now listen. Is everybody listening? There will be no justice on this earth until the just one comes. There will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace returns. And there will be no fairness until the fairest one comes again. Justice is the scary thing about the return of Jesus Christ. He is coming with justice for all and on all. Now I know you hear all this all the time on the news and things. People crying for justice, crying for justice, social justice, economic justice, racial justice, and all these things. And there's merit to those things. But my friend, here's the thing. When you start hollering for justice, it may be that you really don't want it. And when it comes to the ultimate judgment, when all these things we worry about are over and it's just you and God at the judgment seat, I've got bad news for you. He is going to treat you with justice. And his standard that he uses is not yours, it's not your mama's, it's not America's. It's this book right here. Here's the standard of righteousness that God will judge the earth on. Where am I, Riley? What's my next verse? There you go. Psalms 9, 8 says, He shall judge the world in righteousness. What's righteousness? Not what you say is righteous, but right here. Not what we think is righteous. You know, the world says that it's righteous for a woman to have her own choice over her own body if she goes out and gets pregnant. Not according to this book. The world says it's just to let perverts marry one another. Not according to this book. This is the standard. The only standard of righteousness. The good thing about this book is that Jesus loves sinners. I'm getting to it. But first of all, you've got to understand where we are. Psalm 96.13 says, For he is coming. For he is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his 
truth. And we preached about that last week. Scripture alone. Acts 17.30, truly these times of ignorance God overlooked. Now what that's talking about is God didn't french fry all of us when he should have. And God held back his wrath against all Old Testament believers and unbelievers really. But Old Testament believers, and he's holding them until Jesus pays for their sins. So this time of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness according to his commands, according to his book, by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Jesus, him from the dead. Do you cry as Christian did in Pilgrim's Progress, one of my favorite books? Are you crying when you look in this book? It makes you cry, what shall I do? What shall I do? Are you just bebopping along in this life and you think, oh God, it's just some frumpy grandpa up in heaven and he's just going to, he's pushing all my sins in some secret closet or on the rug. My friend, that is not true. Every sin you've ever committed, every dirty thought, every dirty deed, every dirty action you've ever done must be paid for. God's standard is perfection and none of us meet it. We're in trouble. Do you not see that? God demands holiness. We sin like the wind blows, constant. How foolish to believe you can be saved by your good works. God demands perfection, perfect holiness, and even our righteousness, God tells us, is filthy rags. When we call on the name of the Lord, and by the way, that's just because of how holy He is. When we call on the name of the Lord, though, now listen, it's starting to get gooder. Forgive me, Christy, English teacher. All you English teachers, forgive me. When when you call on the name of the Lord, believing his gospel, all these things become null and void. All this judgment becomes null and void, and it goes away. How can it do that? God, who is rich in mercy because of his his great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sin, has made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You know how God can be just just and give justice to sinners? Because Jesus paid for your sin on his cross. If I, if I wreck your car, believe me, I cannot pay for what I wreck. I don't have the money. But now Tim Woolley can say, hey, Brother Ron, I got that. And pull out his wallet and pay for it 100%. And I'm not guilty anymore. Not because I was good enough. Not because I had enough money enough. No, because of the gracious act of a friend. And the only way that I can escape hell and judgment and make it to heaven and be perfect in God's sight and declare not guilty is through the blood of Jesus. I told you it was going to get better. That's saved from, saved from sin, saved from judgment, saved from the wrath of God. But when you get saved, you get saved to something. You get saved to a right relationship with God. No longer are we enemies, but we're friends. Actually, we're not just friends. We're brethren with Christ, and we've been adopted into the family of God. I I should put up there, shouting goes here. 
We are saved to a right relationship with God. We are saved to His righteousness. He gives us His righteousness. We're saved to redemption. We're saved to restoration. We're saved to heaven. We're saved to regeneration. And this has been given by, thirdly, man's greatest provision. Man's greatest provision. Now please, please, get ready. It's going to be good. I like the way the New American Standard Bible translates Acts 4.12. In particular, I like and love the way that it begins the verse. The verse begins, and there is salvation. I like that. It puts the negative on the backside of it, which is totally right to do in Greek. There is salvation. That's good news, isn't it? Because I needed salvation. There is salvation. And the only way that we can have a right standing before God is to be righteous. And Christ Jesus alone. Now listen to me. Not the saints. Not Mary. Not your time in purgatory. All those things would add up to nothing just like your righteousness does now without Christ. But only in Jesus Christ can righteousness be provided for us. Look at Romans 3, 21. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. You can have righteousness apart from keeping the laws. Being good, doing merits, doing penance, praying to the saints. That's what it says. Being witnessed by the long prophet. said, I'm, I'm telling you this, this has been the message since the beginning. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, Brother Owen, you really think you're going to be good enough to get to heaven? Well, I am, but not because I'm good. I'm terrible. I'm a filthy, rotten sinner. But I am good enough because Jesus gave me His righteousness. All merits that were saved up were saved up in Jesus, and He gives them freely to those who call on His name. <laughs> Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. To all and on all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Nobody can be saved by their own good deeds. Verse 24, being justified, listen, freely. Freely. By His grace. Let me, let me, let me read this to you in the... Translating the original language. Being justified graciously by His grace. Basically what it says. Through the redemption that is in the saints. Penance. The sacraments. In Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus. Where am I? Thank you. Whom God set forth as a propitiation. That word propitiation means an atonement. By His blood, through faith, to demonstrate His righteousness, because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed, to demonstrate at this present time His righteousness. That is His life, His perfect uh, birth, His perfect life, and His willing death, and His resurrection, that He might be just... Just, here's that word, and the justifier of the one who works real hard? No, the one who has faith in Jesus. 
<laughs> Hallelujah. That makes me, I'm a Baptist, but I want to dance. How about y'all? It ought to make you want to dance. If it doesn't make you want to dance, you're not understanding this. I'm doing a poor job of explaining it to you because I was dead in my trespasses. I was running as fast as I could away from God. I didn't want God. There's none that seeketh after God. None of us understood. And God in His mercy and grace fell on me that day and I called on the name of the Lord and He saved me. And now I'm alive because of His grace. He's just to do it. How? Because He is not letting your sin go by the wayside. It was paid for, legally paid for, in Jesus Christ. And he imputed your right, his righteousness to your account. Well, I'm going to go on Acts 4.12. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men. Whereby we must be saved. John 14.6 again. Jesus said to him. I am the way. I am the life. Uh, truth. And I am the life. Now listen. No one comes above. You cannot be saved. Unless you go through Christ alone. No one comes to the Father but by or through me. I, how can anybody mistake this? You know what you got to do? You got to not believe that Scripture is sufficient to not believe this. Work salvation is excluded. Work salvation is excluded. Why? Because it's insufficient. It's insufficient. Do you really, now just, just a simple, this is a silly illustration, I've used it before, but, but it's, it's, if you're saved, if, if you really believe you're going to heaven, you think you're going to heaven by your works, you've done enough good works to get you to heaven, you're a good person, yeah, I mean, you know, you've done things, you, you hadn't been mean, you didn't spit at nobody and all this stuff, I, I'm a pretty good person. Most everybody here that's never been saved and trust in Christ, that's what you're thinking, that you're pretty good, you're going to get to heaven. Let me tell you what heaven is. Heaven is a place where all the buildings are made of pure gold. So pure that it's transparent. Not a piece of dust in any of it. And the streets are paved with that gold. And the foundation stones are 12 humongous jewels. Enough to hold a city that's 1,500 miles high. And in the midst of it is the throne of God Almighty. And on that throne, Jesus will sit. You really think you have earned enough to just look at that? You, you're not, there's no way. Your sins have separated. But, but that's the thing. Your sins have separated from God. You cannot be saved by good works. Never. Romans 11.5 Even so then... At this present time there is a remnant according to the election of grace. Now listen, verse 6. And if by grace, then it is no longer works. That's pretty simple, isn't it? If it's by grace, salvation cannot be by works. Uh, let me see. And, and if by grace, then it is no longer works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. In other words, they keep telling me this, that you can grace, you can merit grace. That's silly. It's silliness. If you merit it, guess what? It's not grace. Grace is unmerited favor. That's what the word means. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer works. That's pretty simple, isn't it? 
to say as a, the Catholic Church says and, and others, they're not the only ones, that grace is merited by good works and ritual is to show an ignorance of what, God, of what grace means. You don't understand the word. Galatians 2.21, I do not nullify the grace of God, for, it, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died needlessly. If you believe that you've got to merit your salvation, you're saying that the cross, that that's a foolish symbol up there in that baptistry. What was it for? It's useless. Galatians 5.2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision... Basically, if you believe baptism saves you, that's what we would put in this. If you receive circumcision, that means to be saved, to be a part of God's chosen people, Christ will be of no benefit to you. In other words, my friend, if today you say, I'm going to get to heaven by good works, the cross means nothing, and you better make sure you can do it. Because the cross, Christ, will benefit you nothing. And when you get to heaven and God demands perfection and you look at him stunned, look, you say, well, I did this or that. Yeah, he'll say, you also lied. You also disobeyed your parents. You also did. And listen, I know the very thoughts of your mind. I know all the dirtiness of your heart and the deeds that you have done. And you're not perfect. And I demand perfect. Where is your perfection? Well, Christ, no, Christ does you no good because you said you were going to get up here by your good works. It's too late. That's what he means. Christ will be of no benefit to you. Why? Because Christ died to do away with the need to obtain a works requirement for salvation. That's why Jesus died. Some might say, I was baptized. So what? How does that merit perfect righteousness? Now, baptism is commanded for the Christian. It is important. But for salvation, it means nothing. You curse the cross. You belittle the blood. You insult Emmanuel when you glory in your works and think they can make you measure up to God. Thirdly, Christ's salvation is exclusive. He alone can save. John 1, 29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Not the Lamb of God plus the church. Not the Lamb of God plus the saints. Not the Lamb of God plus Mary. Not the Lamb of God plus anything. It is the Lamb that was slain that takes away the sin of the world. Look at the Old Testament. That was the picture of it. Romans 5, 19 says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. By Jesus alone. Hebrews 9, 12, Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. My friend, quit trying to obtain eternal redemption. It's already been paid for. He entered... Once and for all. Why? Because he's the only way. And he obtained, not a temporary, not a half, but eternal redemption. Do you know when my eternal life began? 
Well, it began in God's mind and turning past, but I don't want to be super spiritual. But literally, March 3rd, 1976, when I got down an altar and said, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me my sin, and take me to heaven when I die. And I called on the name of the Lord. At that moment, the Holy Spirit of God regenerated me, and I am forevermore alive. And one day, even this old body that must die will be made eternal. It's good stuff. 1 Timothy 2 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Is that not, anybody need a math lesson here? One mediator between God and man. And it ain't the church. It isn't Mary and it's no saint. It is Jesus Christ. There is one mediator, there is, uh, uh, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. I love preaching the gospel. 1 Timothy 2, 5, what a verse. In conclusion, and I mean it, look at the simple salvation. Salvation really is simple. It really is. Romans 10, verse 8 says, but what does it say? What does what say? The, the Bible, God, truth. What does it say? The word is near you in your mouth, And in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. Now here it is. He's talking about how to be saved. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. My friend, if today you'd say, I'm I'm sick of trying on my own. I'm sick of the struggle. I'm sick of the fear. I want to be saved. And if you will with your mouth confess Christ and believe the gospel, that is that he was virgin born and he was God in eternity. He's always been God. He came in a virgin's womb and he lived a sinless life and he died a willing death and he rose again victorious on the third day. He's ascended into heaven and at the right hand of God, he intercedes for all those who call on his name. My friend, if you believe that on behalf of your sinful heart, he will give you his righteousness. Now, you say, well, can I get do this over in the corner where nobody hears me? No. you got to confess it with your mouth. That means you got to tell somebody about it. Yeah, you tell God and the Holy Spirit. But my friend, Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before men, I'll be ashamed of you before my Father which is in heaven. No, my friend, when you get to the point of saying, I'm going to hell and there's nothing I can do about it, you're going to say, who cares what them church members think? I'm calling on the name of the Lord. I want to be saved. I want to be one of them. I want to be a saint, a true saint, a saint by the righteousness of Christ, not mine. It's simple. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then... You've got to understand behind that simple salvation is a supreme Savior. I had uh, Brother Tony read this for a reason. He read the scripture that he read for a reason. I'm going to read it again. And being found in the appearance of a man, that's Jesus, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. That is that Jesus, who is God, a very God, the God-man... He took on human flesh and he he put away his he didn't put away his deity, but he put away his he didn't use his abilities. He, he suppressed those things and he came and, and 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 the form of man 
and he was humbled to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. Doesn't he deserve it? Doesn't he deserve it? That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of the things in heaven and of those on the earth and uh, uh, those on earth and the things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. If salvation is in anything other than Christ, these verses are hollow and unjust. Where's my glory? Where's my pat on the back? The Bible says God, and we'll preach this, the last message, all glory alone goes to God. That's not true if you're saved by merit. You gain it. God's not sovereign in your salvation if you're saved by works. You're sovereign in your salvation if you're saved by your good deeds. You deserve the pat on the back. No, friend. These verses are silly if you're saved by works. There is a treasury of merit. Now listen, there's a treasury of merit enough to save all men. It is Christ's righteousness alone. In the scriptures alone, he has told us how he, we might obtain it. By grace alone, through faith in Christ alone, and we give all the glory to God alone. I'm telling you, it is solus Christus in Christ alone. And I implore you today, come to Jesus.